this is part of who God created us to be. That's right. That in God's creation, there is a desire for food and there is a desire for sex. And it's not about stopping it and becoming asexual or starving ourselves with food. It's about learning moderation. It's about learning to reorient my relationship. And I often talk to men who struggle with food addiction that the idea isn't to be on a diet. It's not about restriction. It is about reorienting my relationship with food so that food can be food and it's not something else. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to be back again today with special guest Jim Farm, the clinical director of Faithful and True. I like to continue to remind him of this title. It's very prestigious. And of course, as usual, our our host. And Greg. And, and, and Greg. Yeah. Uh, Greg. Greg very proudly is the director of our workshops, as well as the host of this podcast. Uh, so then you ask yourself, what am I doing? Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm here to open and close the proceedings and, uh, and keep things moving right along. We're happy to have Jim back again today because as we continue this series on questions, uh, Jim has come up with another uh, interesting one for us. Yeah, yeah, it's another question that came out of one of my groups, you guys, and uh, um, the question in particular was, you know, we, we've, we've done well with the sexual addiction, but now we're eating like crazy, mm-hmm. eating food, and so... Maybe today talking about not only in regards to, you know, why do we become maybe overly focused on food, but other things as well once maybe, you know, the sexual addictions taken care of, or maybe those other things are already there to begin with as well as the sexual addiction. Right. And, you know, one of the things about um, food addiction is it is something that traditionally is seen as acceptable in the context specifically of the church. Um, I grew up going to potlucks. Fried chicken was just a part of almost communion. I mean, we regularly ate well at church. And so there was this permission to find comfort in food. And if you had any tendency towards wanting to cope, then it was readily accessible. And I do think for a lot of men, um, they really are working hard to go after the sex addiction. They're implementing a lot of strategies to address that. And what's also true is there's still pain that is in their lives. And so it's easy to fall into some other patterns to find some pain relief. It's kind of like going from, you know, codeine, you know, Tylenol 3 with codeine to maybe now taking ibuprofen. I'm still taking it to medicate my pain, but I perceive it as a lesser issue. And many times it is a lesser issue depending on what our secondary coping strategies or addictions are. Yeah. And sometimes that that can be frustrating to spouses in particular mm-hmm. because they'll see, well, maybe he's doing well with the sexual addiction, but now he's eating those bags of, of potato chips every night. Right. You well, know? and not only is it frustrating for a spouse, but it can also be very scary for a spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that Beth would uh, mention to me part of my coping strategy is TV. It still is. And... Um, that was one of the things that Mark and I shared is after we would do a workshop, we would go and sit on the couch and just veg and watch TV. Um, and it was great to be able to do that. But what I also saw is early in my recovery, when I was going on after the sex addiction in a significant way, um, I was tempted or vulnerable to use TV as a coping strategy. 
And a lot of times when I had had my most intense therapy sessions or a group experience was really powerful, what I wanted was to come home and watch some TV. And so that may be a pattern that people see. Sometimes the fear is, oh, we're using other things to cope. Recovery must not be working. But the fact that we are coping in other ways may actually be an indication that our recovery is working because we are going after the deeper pain. We are moving towards the chaos. We are trying to address the issues that are driving the addiction. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I think one of the things that comes to mind in particular with with sex and food in particular is they're they're similar processes. Mm-hmm. They're both healthy processes that you know we we all engage in in regards to you know we all have to eat and in marriage we you know are intimate and, and sexual with right. one another. Well, and even this idea that this is part of who God created us to be. That's right. That in God's creation there is a desire for food and there is a desire for sex, and. It's not about stopping it and becoming asexual or starving ourselves with food. It's about learning moderation. It's about learning to reorient my relationship. And I often talk to men who struggle with food addiction that the idea isn't to be on a diet. It's not about restriction. It is about reorienting my relationship with food so that food can be food and it's not something else. Um, I often talk about this idea that addiction is a substance or a behavior plus something. Mm -hmm. So food addiction is food plus something. It's food plus comfort. It's food plus avoidance. It's food plus um, excitement. It's food plus adrenaline. But there's a a plus part to it in the same way sex addiction is sex plus something. It's sex plus my identity. It's sex plus my value. It's sex plus comfort. But until I address the plus part of it, I'm not going to be able to really steward the sexuality or the food in the way that God intended. And again, God created us to be sexual. God created us to enjoy food. So it's not about avoidance. It's about stewardship. Yeah, yeah. And why, why they're so similar as well is that, you know, oftentimes they're, they're the easiest ones to go to when you're a kid. And if you have a lot of anxiety or growing up in a state of chaos, you know, kids discover masturbation mm-hmm. or they have access to food and that becomes, like you said, a source of comfort for them. Yeah. They're, the, they're the areas that they do have a little bit of sense of control over. Well, and Mark would often talk about the addictions that are the oldest are the ones that are most difficult to get free from. And for most people who struggle with sex addiction, there was something that predates the sexual experience. And like you said, it may have been food. They learned in their family that food was a place of comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be that they've always struggled with food addiction, but for many men, because of their level of activity, because of their age, they could eat significantly and wouldn't necessarily wear on their bodies. But as they age, it becomes more obvious, or because they do the testing and see their cholesterol is higher, we can't live in this belief that it doesn't have a cost anymore. I mean, so it's not that the sex addiction and the recovery has created the food addiction. For many men, it has simply exposed something that is there. I would say that that is true for me, that food has always been a coping strategy, but because of my build and because of my metabolism, it wasn't obvious to anybody. But when I got stressed out, food, specifically rich food, was something that I enjoyed. But now at this point in my life, if I'm using food to cope and medicate, it becomes more obvious to myself, to my doctor, and to others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the same thing with food and sex. Is that I, I, We see the cycle of over-control and under-control. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so sometimes 
when life's out of control, I'll try to, you know, over control in those areas. Or, you know, if sex is out of control, I'll over control in eating. So we go through these cycles of over control and under control around either food or, or sex. And I think one of the problems that happens is if we try to over control it, it often leads us to a place where we deprive ourselves of either food or sex, mm-hmm. which often then just drives our desire to then lose control in that area. Right. Well, and for a lot of men who begin um, recovery for sexual addiction, their initial strategy for sobriety is to become asexual. It's like they just shut down all of the desire. They disassociate from their bodies. They are aware of who they are physically. And they're able to maintain sobriety for a certain amount of time doing that. It's just not a long-term strategy. No. Was well, the same thing with food. Uh, a lot of men that I work with will go through these cycles of over-exercise, hyper-focus on their intake, and they can sustain that for a while. But eventually, the body begins to rebel because... That's not the way it was created to function. And then these needs that I want to meet through this over control are not being met. And it comes together as a perfect storm. And it just means it's not sustainable. No, no. I mean, if you think about it, you know, why, why the diets, for example, fail so much? Because they often approach it by deprivation mm-hmm. rather than, you know, what do I get to eat? What, right. You know what I mean? And can I, using our language, do I have enough of a wise, wise adult, either a wise man or a wise woman, to engage food in a healthy relationship? Can it be about stewardship? So the food's not controlling me. I'm not seeking control of the food. And what's amazing is so much of the Bible talks about the, this nurturing, spiritual, sacred component of food. Mm-hmm. And the way that God provided, the, the nature of the relationship with God, the symbols of faith many times are in the context of food. So again, it's about embracing the sacredness of food as God intended. Well, sexuality is the same way. Our culture has a tendency to separate sexuality from spirituality, but there is a sacredness to it. There's this divine component to it, and it's a symbol. It's a representation of intimacy with God in this sacred space. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, it's moving towards the sacredness of it that helps us find a healing part of it. it. It's amazing when that which has been destructive can now become healing. Yeah. When men learn how to steward their sexuality or um, reorient their relationship with food, what was difficult, what was painful is now beautiful and healing and sacred. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, my, my, my head is spinning, Greg, so I'm thinking about the next podcast in regards <laughs> to, you know, the message that often we we got maybe in adolescence that you're just not to be sexual. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, what's the vision then? Right. What do you do with the sexuality? Right. And even as my body is changing and developing, I am being sexual. That's part of who God created me to be. So even for children and adolescents, as they become aware of who they are physically, it's not about avoidance or denial. We know that doesn't work. It is about stewardship. Um, One of my phrases is you can't steward something you don't own. So we're going to start owning our sexuality. This is who God created me to be. It's a good, it's a beautiful thing, and I want to be a good steward of it. Um, And letting that be the way that I live versus fear, shame, anxiety. Because for many of us in the area of sexuality, that's what we were given. If someone was talking to us about it, it was about their fear about it, their shame about it, their avoidance of it. 
versus they're embracing it, they're welcoming it, and then they're stewarding of it. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what do you think, Greg, in regards to, I, I know eating is one of those major secondary addictions that a lot of sex addicts do engage mm-hmm. in. I think it's like 25% of guys. What are some of the other ones that you notice that are kind of, you know, other coping strategies that can sometimes well, be? I would kind of just mention the one I did TV. And, and we could just call that external distractions, you know, for many of us, it does come from a screen. Um, it can be time on my phone looking at sports. It could be checking out the scores. It could be following the stock market. It could just be constantly reading the news. Or it could be finding those things that you know entertain us. Right. And I think that there's a great vulnerability, I can speak personally, you know, when you have the streaming services that allow you just to watch an entire series um, in one night or over a long weekend, yeah. then it's been perfectly established in such a way that I can just surrender myself to that experience. I lose control and I overinvest in a show that I'm watching. Um, and so anything that distracts me from reality, and again, there's nothing wrong with entertainment, there's nothing wrong with sports. I want you to hear yeah. that. Oh, I was just saying, you oh, just I, challenged oh. Randy and I just two seconds ago. I'm, we're we're I'm feeling so convicted over here. Yeah. And let's add the and. And it's the difference between a wise man who is enjoying sports and really engaging it and sees it for what it is versus a survivor man who's wanting to escape to an alternative reality. And that's the truth of anything. Um, I can overfocus on entertainment or games. You know, I could spend an entire weekend at my computer playing the card games or whatever Mm -hmm. games are available or video games. And there's a difference between a wise man who's able to do it with limitations, with discretion, um, and is able to check in with himself and even acknowledge, you know, is there something I'm wanting to avoid by spending my weekend playing this game? Um, Several podcasts ago, we had someone come on and talk about, you know, games and the way that they work. And we know that for a lot of men who struggle with sexual addiction, video games is another one of their coping strategies. So it's not about eliminating it. It's simply about strengthening my wise man in such a way that I can do it. Um, Another one I would say, and this I think is very typical, is workaholism. Where um, you may be observing for the women who are listening, your spouse, and there's this over-focus now on work. And especially for men who struggle with anxiety, work can be one of those ways that they try to create safety. Mm-hmm. So it's spending more time at the office. It's um, over-investing and reading emails and doing projects. And it seems like there's fewer boundaries than there used to be about what times or how much time somebody's going to work. Now, again, work is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's when we're using it to escape that it becomes destructive. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the key word is are they are we becoming preoccupied with something else, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I, I think you may, I like what you're using the language you're using, Greg, in terms of how are we stewarding this? Because I'm hearing guys in my ear right, like, well, what can we do to cope then? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Temporary escape is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, you know, early in recovery, uh, Beth tells the story of how there was a group that she would go to and. Um, It was a very difficult group. It was a healing group. It was a hopeful group. And it is painful for wives to go and in a very focused way, focus on the hurt and the betrayal that they have experienced. And she was committed to going, which I was always incredibly thankful for. No matter how much chaos it created, no no matter how much pain there was, she continued to go. And when she got home from that, 
a lot of times she didn't want to interact with me. She was processing something that had come up in group. And we found comfort from sitting on the couch watching a show together. Um, and sometimes maybe she could sit near me, sometimes she couldn't. Sometimes maybe she could hold my hand while we were watching the show, sometimes she couldn't, depending on what mm -hmm. had gotten stirred up or triggered in her experience. But that was a way where we were choosing it, we knew we were doing it, and we knew ultimately it wasn't the solution. Yeah. Um, you mentioned this idea of preoccupation. Well, preoccupation and fantasy in the addiction cycle go together. And so to recognize, it's, it's that fantasy of work is going to save me or rescue me. Food is going to rescue me or save me. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same principle that we thought something sexual was going to rescue me or save me. And so it's recognizing I can enjoy this. You know, I can watch the twins play. Maybe they win, maybe they lose. How <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> For no, some twins fans, it's not enjoyable. Randy knows the score and the batting average. The only thing that saved me last night was the piece of carrot cake that's okay. had for me. So, so that's a combo. We call that co-addiction. But, but sometimes even something like food, where um, Beth and I would talk about these cookies. There are these sugar cookies that we love. And we would jokingly, seriously refer to them as comfort cookies. Yeah. And we knew that that's what they were in our lives. We knew that we were eating some cookies um, and we did it intentionally. Um, we did it from the wise adult place and we did it with limitations. Yeah. There's a difference between having a couple of chips versus having an entire bag. Yeah. Am I just in some sort of automatic pilot? And that, that's one of the, the attributes of an addictive behavior or a, a substance is I start engaging it, I start indulging it, and I slip into some sort of automatic pilot where I am no longer functioning in my consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that, wow, I can't believe I ate the whole bag, or I can't believe I just spent five hours watching TV, or I just spent this number of hours playing my video game, mm -hmm. or, you know, I've spent all afternoon going from game to game to game. It's I lose my self-awareness and my consciousness that's when it's no longer healthy coping. And I want people to hear that. There is healthy coping. Yeah. Sometimes when there's intense pain, we do need some ibuprofen just to take the edge off a little bit so that we can function. But that's very different than engaging, you know, Tylenol 3 with codeine <laughs> as a strategy to keep me from ever having to feel the pain. Yeah. And what I hear you saying, Greg, is you're not avoiding anything. You may just be temporarily you know, engaging in some coping right. things and coming back to that. Right. Well, one of the ideas that we were introduced to is this parking lot, where there are times when you can park your story, your pain, your history, you can set it aside temporarily. Yeah. And you know where you left it. You know, you can come back to it. And it's not abandoning the car in the parking lot. You're going to come back to it in time, and you're going to start driving it again and continue the journey but it's okay for a season to stop at the rest stop or yeah. to have the pretty look, you know, lookout yeah. view or whatever. Um, knowing that the journey isn't over, there's more to be done, and sometimes we just need a rest. Yeah. Um, as a reminder, I did a full disclosure with Debbie and a couple um, over the winter, and they were from out of town. And so we did a full disclosure, and neither one of them had been to the Mall of America. And they were like, well, what do we do? Do we go to the Mall of America? It was a painful day. And I remember what Debbie said. She said, hey, there's nothing wrong with just parking what we did today, mm -hmm. enjoy the Mall of America, and we can come back to this tomorrow. Right. Well, and it's that I, we're so afraid that if we set it aside, somehow we're diminishing it. 
Um, and, and that's part of what we teach at the couples workshop is that even in the midst of our deepest couples pain, we can set that work aside temporarily and rest and go have fun together and come back to it. It's the beautiful imagery of the Sabbath where God's creation, there was work, there were things to be done. The, the work extended for the, the vast majority of the time for those six days. And on the seventh day, there was rest. Mm-hmm. So even in the recovery journey, finding ways to rest well um, and in healthy ways. And again, the healthy way is the intentional way. It is the self-aware way. It is the way where I have limits, where I have discretion. Um, and you know, kind of the, the way that this can come up is, let's say that you are a spouse and you are watching your husband, you're observing your husband, and you are seeing he's working more, he's eating more, he's watching TV more. It's very easy to panic thinking, oh my gosh, he must also be acting out. And that can be true. What may also be true, though, is he's actually choosing something other than his old coping pattern. He's still not fully in his hoop. He's not fully living as a wise man. And he's choosing lesser, more painful ways to navigate the pain because he has the self-awareness that lets him know how destructive the old patterns of acting out uh, sexually have been. Yeah. So you're saying the expectation shouldn't be, you know, no coping whatsoever, you know? Right. Yes. And that it's not realistic. And I, I hear the women at the women's workshop talk about this. It may not be realistic that in a moment's notice, your husband is able to be completely and totally a wise man and healthy immediately as he starts recovery. It takes and time. And that would be one. I mean, as men, we want that. Yeah. You know, we often talk about the fact that men come to our workshop and immediately they want everything to be healed. They want everything to be better. And for a time, maybe it is a little bit better, but I often tell men it's going to get worse before it gets better mm-hmm. because there are some things you're going to have to face. There is some pain you have to move towards. Um, so it, it is to be expected. What we want is that a man is doing it more in community. Um, he's doing it more as a wise man and he's choosing the coping strategies that are less destructive, less painful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard in the recovery community, if a person struggles with several addictions, you choose the one that will kill you first to go after first. That's right. Well, for us, we can have a variety of different addictions and coping strategies, and we will choose the one that has been the most painful and the most destructive to others and to ourselves. That's the one that we're going to go after. And then in time, Hopefully, we'll be able to go after all of them and reorient our relationship to all of the stu- substances and behaviors that have been destructive. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reality is, is we want it to take some time, mm-hmm. you know, because a person can be overwhelmed, you know, with the pain if, if we move them into that too quickly. Right. Again, one of the images that I, I use this image a lot, but I think it's helpful, is if you're going to live in a state that has a hurricane, you're going to build a house that has the infrastructure to survive the hurricane. Mm -hmm. Well, if you build a house that can withstand a hurricane category three, that's great until the category four comes along. Well, in recovery, there are some storms offshore that are going to be coming. And so part of our work is whether there's a storm or not, we wanna be building the infrastructure, getting ready for that hurricane five that's going to be coming. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a wisdom. There's an internal wisdom. There's a wisdom of the professions 
There's a wisdom of God that knows sometimes we're not quite ready for those storms. You know, the scripture Mm -hmm. says that God will not give us anything that is beyond us. Mm -hmm. Well, part of that is our partnership to get ready, to be doing our work, to strengthen that infrastructure, to survive the storms that are coming. And temporary, controlled, limited coping is part of the way that we can strengthen ourselves, build our infrastructure for whatever storms might be coming our way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the main word that I'm pulling out of this podcast, Greg, is this intentionality. You know, mm-hmm. be it with food, you know, watching TV, whatever it is, that coping mechanism that we're choosing. Are we being intentional or reactive around it? Right. And I alluded to this, but I want to also say it clearly. For women who are married to men who struggle with sexual addiction, it makes perfect sense they're going to have a reaction when they see the coping strategies that their husband's have, especially if they see that they're intensifying. That just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's where having conversations can help to create some safety. Um, Conversations are better than accusations, if that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also to have community around you to help validate your reactions, your experiences, and maybe even give, give you some encouragement. What's also true is women who are doing their own work, who are moving towards their pain, either the pain that their husbands have created or the pain that predates their husbands, it makes perfect sense that they're going to find some things to help navigate the pain that they're experiencing. So they may also be discovering, well, I'm eating more than I typically do, or I'm exercising more than I typically do, or I'm wanting to spend more than I typically do. The same coping strategies that men have, women can also have. And so if you're in recovery and you're in a lot of pain, you may also be seeing that there's some coping strategies that you're choosing in order to navigate it. And it's the same principle. Just do it as a wise woman. Do it in an intentional way. Create limits and bring community into it. You know, I often tell men, if you're going to be eating those potato chips, don't eat them alone. Mm-hmm. That's part of the indication of the addiction aspect is I want to do it in isolation. Mm-hmm. So bring your community into it with you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Greg. So go to the game. Go, to, go see the twins with your community <laughs> as my you grieve. Bring, and I, bring my carrot cake with me to the game. Randy and I are starting our 12-step group for sports. We are. We are. It's going to be a good thing. I, I really like it. I really do. Well, Jim, thank you so much again for joining us on today's Faithful and True podcast. And as always, we thank Greg. He's a tremendous po- uh, podcast host. It's a joy to uh, be at this uh, same panel uh, with him every week. Uh, We hope that today's show has been beneficial for you. Uh, If you are a man out there that is struggling with sexual addiction or or addiction to pornography, we invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com. Click on the uh, workshops and read all about the Men's Journey Workshop. We do it for you every month and uh, registration is available right online. Uh, The same for the spouses. The wives can find the Women's Journey Workshop Uh, We have one of those coming up in July, and we have our couples journey workshop. Uh, There's another one of those uh, towards the end of this month as well. So we invite you to read up on those. If it sounds like a perfect fit for you, uh, contact us or uh, try to uh, reach us through the uh, website. Until we join you again next week, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your interest. We thank you for your support of Faithful and True. And we hope that the coming week is filled with many blessings and with great vision.